Drive-by cinema. Three nachos and a foaming thermos of fun. Hello, hello. It's beginning to look a lot like Christmas. It's season two, episode 20 of Drive-by cinema. Holy smoke. Because people could be listening to this at any time of the year, so the fact that it's Christmas for us nearly irrelevant, really, isn't it? Irrelevant to them, but relevant to us. And who are we? Well, I'm Paul, and this is my co-host. And I'm Rick. Yeah. I've just this second come from the movie we're reviewing. There's my cinema Have you got your reindeer hat on? No, I don't have a reindeer hat. Oh, there's headphones. <laughs> Do you have reindeer Sorry, headphones? I couldn't see clear through the snow blizzard. No, I don't. I don't. I, I'm just not in the festive spirit this year. Well, I think we discussed last week that you weren't really going to do Christmas. So, uh, oh, did we? Okay. To hell. To hell with it all. Back to your cinema ticket, Richard. Did you see it in one of those amazing reclining seats? Did you? No. Oh. I left it at too late, I think, and it wasn't in the main screen, or maybe the cinema I was in didn't have it in those screens, so... Back to ordinary, uncomfortable cinema seats. Did you go premium in the ordinary cinema? No, didn't even have that option. I went premium in the ordinary cinema. It was was expensive, only £11. Well, mine was 7 That is cheap, £7 for a movie movie ticket. My car parking costs more. So, (laughs) (laughs) I hope my car enjoyed the two hours that it spent. Did you get a massage? What happened to it? They should have a car cinema up there, shouldn't they? We're going to pay ten pounds to stay two hours. Just put the screen on the on the car park. You get canoodle with the full Fiesta. I mean, what? what why? So because you paid the wrong amount. No, it's you, just oh, it's Manchester city centre, isn't it? Hell fire! Well, no. So I, I went to the order in cinema, and uh, uh, the thing that was strange for me is that, you know it said start, start at whatever. I think it was seven thirty to start. So I thought I'll rock up at seven forty. Get the food in 7.45, you know, get sat down, 7.50, 20 minutes in, bang, I'll be there for the starting credits. Not a chance. Not a chance, Richard. What, what do you mean? What, you were late for the film? Yeah, purposefully. I thought, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll time it so that I'm 20 minutes in, so yeah. I'll get the start of the movie and miss all the crap. Yeah, but you didn't, no. you missed the start of the movie. No, I didn't, no. I oh. missed the adverts, but I still had all the trailers to sit through. <laughs> But the trailers are the best bit, as everyone knows. That's what they say. Oh, now it's really the best bit. <laughs> anyway, so... Speaking of films that they've rebooted or rehashed, I'm looking forward to The Matrix Resurrections, which is being trailed. We have to go and see that. We have to put it on our podcast. I agree. I agree. Let's make a mental note about that. Remember what the Dormouse said. <laughs> that is a mental note, yeah. Look... Uh, you know, way back when, when we were talking about uh, Sigourney and the Green Knight, and you said... Mental. You, you said a comment during it. Mental. Which, now, I know you often do this, and I often miss it completely, where you use song oh. lyrics as part of the discussion. I've stopped doing it, because I, I feel like I'm not getting the recognition I deserve. <laughs> yeah, it just goes over my head, Paul. Oh, okay. The thing is, I think the reason is that for a lot of songs, I don't really pay any attention to the semantics ah. of the lyrics to me it's just like get you through Thursday afternoon kind of thing to me the lyrics are just kind of another instrument being played I see by voice kind of thing and I quite often ah. couldn't tell you what the meaning of a lot of songs is because I'm, I'm not, not sure they have any specific meaning really do they 
What, you mean they're writers just... write songs without Spe- any... Specifically to have no meaning. Yeah. Meaning at all. Yeah. Weird. Just to be evocative. Oh. Well, I know that's true of some songs like uh, R.E.M.'s thingy that's just an endless string of words, you know, what's it called? Which The end of the world, as we know. Ah, yeah. Billy Joel's got a similar one, hasn't he? We didn't start the fire, which just seems to be an endlessly delivered string of things which have no connection to one another. That's the weird thing. Those are two songs that I would say definitely do. <laughs> I'm meaning for lyrics, but obviously I've got... I didn't get the memo on this. I'm just living my best life. That's all I can say. Look, Richard, you were saying, you know when, Paul, you keep inserting those song lyrics into podcasts? In the Green Knight podcast, you yeah. said something about what did the fox say? Something. Ah, what does the fox say? Okay. I had no clue what that was a reference to. I had to look it up. I had to look up that song. He goes, ding, 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 ding. It's like you know, the crazy frog, but not as annoying. <laughs> it was a huge thing in 2011 or 2012. I had no idea. It's a massive thing. Because at that point, you'd already grown up and you weren't hanging around in bars anymore, were you? What? Uh, what in bars? In people... nightclubs with uh... people who were 25 years old and stuff like that. Oh, that was popular, was it? What did the fox say? Or what Massive. Gigantic. You couldn't avoid it. You really could not avoid it. I saw a YouTube video of some guy dressed as a fox singing it. I didn't understand it. But anyway, so you follow on from that. Jokey, there was a whole area of jokey, jokey songs, wasn't there? That carried on for about five or ten years. And I think what does the fox say was almost a culmination of all that sort of nonsense but fun stuff. Nope, pass me by totally. Oh. I apologise, Paul, for missing all of your lyrical references. I just thought you were being arch. I couldn't figure out, you know, <laughs> what way with words he has. <laughs> being arch. Well, I, th- I think it's the first and last time anybody will ever say that about me, but thank you very much. Richard, we have to have some corrections from last week, surely, or the week before. We've dealt with the corrections, right, from... From time, field time immemorial. Went, from civil, English we? Civil War. Yeah. Well... We, we got, got it all wrong, wrong essentially. Yeah, okay. got it wrong. actually, that's the easiest way to correct: is zero cross see me. You know, we gave ourselves a see me. But I think we got everything right about 2012. I think we can pat ourselves on the back there, because that film was properly ridiculous. We we didn't even get halfway into how ridiculous that film is. <laughs> yeah, it's almost enjoyably ridiculous, though, wasn't it? Now, uh, yeah, I mean, I did. I, I had fun watching. Some it, ridiculous so. films make you angry. <laughs> because you know they're going to dupe people. I'm not sure you could say it's going to dupe anybody and people would say it for anything other than what it was, which is ridiculous fancy. True. It's escapism. Yeah. Escaping the the normal, everyday life of a world falling apart, of dystopian future, of plague, disease. By the way, uh, have you been... Omicron. Have you been boosted, Paul? I haven't. I'm being boosted. I'm getting, I'm getting a kick up the arse this Saturday... 4.30 or something, which I don't think is quite possible because, can they do that? Maybe Friday. I'll have to check. Do check, because I missed my first vaccine appointment. Consequently, Did you? I'm a bit late. I'm a bit I'm a bit delayed. Well, you better not go outdoors for the next few days, Richard. My vaccine schedule is retarded, as it were. And as Can I, you not this, go outdoors? Please. Well, this means that I can't book the booster. You can't go outdoors, yet. yeah. You'll get COVID if you go outdoors. I've been outdoors. I had to go outdoors. No, in in crowded areas. Oh, it's Manchester. It's a, it's like it's like a Dickensian Christmas, isn't it? In Manchester, all I've been wearing I've been wearing masks. Here. I've been wearing masks everywhere. You've been ventilating windows as you walk past, <laughs> <laughs> opening people's windows for them. The other day, 
This is cool, actually. It's the first time I've done anything like this. I thought it was cool. I went to the supermarket without a mask. I've forgotten my mask. I strode in. Did they let you in? I strode in there. Did they arrest you? I got one of those self-zap guns to do my shopping as I go around. I went straight to the aisle where where the masks are, and I zapped a bag of masks. I opened it up and I put one (gasps) straight on. That's technically legal, but well done. No, I'd already I'd already zapped it. Hey, no, not till you pay for it. it. Technically illegal. I've been yeah, you're not yet. like you know when you like you 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 open the can at the checkout aisle as you're going through the checkout aisle, so they, you know it's, you can't nick it, and you you're not supposed to do that until you paid for it. Oh, I didn't know that. So, I but with a zap gun, it's slightly different, isn't it? You're in the process of paying for it. Exactly. I don't think any court in the land would convict me on that basis. Omicron cases are doubling every day, or something. Is it crazy like that? Every two days, I think. Every two well, days, it's weird. What's that? What odd number does that make Omicron then? Like one four point... or something? Or... What? Yeah, it's absolutely extraordinary. Yeah, that is crazy, isn't it? Yeah. Wow. And so we are so entering Plan B, aren't full. we? We're plan B is on... what? We'll, well give up back and to working at home. Hibernation. Um, yes, hibernation. You have to spend the rest of December at home, and everything will be fine. Cryogenic freezing, you know. Wake up when, when when September comes. I'm not being arched there, Richard. Listen, I've got a wedding to go to this weekend. Wow. Richard, what is it about your social life and, and, and viruses? You know, just when you're supposed to hunker on down at home, you suddenly become this social butterfly. That's true. I mean, yeah. Stag parties I've been hearing of, weddings, all kinds of things. I didn't go to the stag. Romantic assassinations late at night. The, the thing is that after two years, a, a human has needs, Paul. We have to... Yeah. What's the word? Satiate ourselves. Suckle at the breast of human contact, don't we? Once in a while. You know, you must be fit for bursting down there. Two years. <laughs> two years of ab- abnegation or ab- ab- abstinence because of this stupid virus. Well, yeah, you should have broken the rules like the rest of us, like the government did. But masturbation is forbidden, isn't it? Didn't Boris Johnson say that at the start? <laughs> I'm sure I heard that. Um. <laughs> I'm sure he's got lots of public school rules about socks and, and, and biscuits that allow to get around those rules. Yeah. yeah, well, so well done for holding out so long. Abstaining for so long. Not for well, holding out in the act when you finally got back to do it after two years of not practising. Well, Paul, if we can possibly segue into yeah, this week's film. escape this? I'm sorry, Richard. No, sorry for talking about Richard's sex life. I just want to say, Paul, oh, Mike. busting makes you feel good. <laughs> hey, now you're being arch. Ghostbusters Afterlife. Wow. Not the first Ghostbusters reboot of recent years. No. Did you see the uh, other Ghostbusters? The all-female crew Ghostbusters? I didn't, but I heard that bloke, Anjas Anakalopolis, talk about it a lot. Milo. Uh, Milo, thank you. Yeah, I guess I actually changed the name to Milo, wasn't it? Yeah. He didn't like the female black lead in it? Oh, for whatever reason. Oh gosh, that's a surprise. Wonder why? <laughs> because because she was... he's got a black boyfriend, so he can't be racist. <laughs> it's like what? Anyway, but yes. So Facebook fed me a lot of his things in that antagonistic way that Facebook does. Oh dear, Paul, that guy is proper poison. Poison is a good word for him, actually, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. I mean, I didn't think there was anything wrong with the uh, the Ghostbusters 
I can't remember what it was. It just called, didn't but... take the franchise any further, yeah. Yeah, but I mean, you could say that about this one as well, couldn't you? Look, let's just say <sighs> Ghostbusters the original. Big fan of it. But really it's just a prolonged kind of Saturday Night Live sketch. You know, it's just an extra long extended comedy sketch. Where the joke is imagine a world where Supernatural agencies are treated like uh, vermin, you know, and you have like a rent-a-kill style arrangement. That's the joke. And, you know, it's a good vehicle for some hijinks and shenanigans and great special effects for the day. Uh, And kids loved it, and I was a kid at the time. It was right up my alley. There's a lot to say about the original Ghostbusters, but you weren't a big fan, Paul, I don't think. No, I was a big fan, I just don't remember what it was about. You don't remember it, okay. No. so you've never seen it again or anything? For instance, Darkroyd, Bill Murray. Harold Ramis. Harold Ramis is the guy who died, yeah? That's correct. But who's the fourth Ghostbuster? Because he's he's in this movie, isn't he? He's in this reprise here. Or reprise. Ernie Hudson. Ernie Hudson, of course, yeah. Really? Ernie Hudson? Yeah. Yeah. And the original Ghostbusters came out with some cracking quotes and lines that have lived kind of immortally. And a great song. You know... There's uh, well, yeah, interesting, great song, absolutely right. Uh, you know the um, I, I, is it Mark Kermode uh, who says about comedy films that I I think it's something like what you know three laughs, maybe two laughs or something, and you know that's that's a good comedy film. Yeah, you didn't laugh at all at this, did you, Richard? <laughs> no, I don't, I don't think I laughed once at this film. <laughs> but but wow. no, that's not true. Maybe I did, maybe once or twice. It's charming. It's not particularly funny. And I'll, we'll come back to that. But uh, the original Ghostbusters had great lines like, uh, I'm a little iffy on this good-bad thing. Uh, and Spengler goes, <laughs> imagine every particle in the universe simultaneously exploding at the speed of light. <laughs> Important safety tip, don't cross the streams. Yeah. The other one is the old... Um, they're explaining to the mayor, you know, what, what you know what will happen, you know, you know, real biblical stuff. They say cats and dogs living together, <laughs> <laughs> and then the third big laugh has got to be when the city official turns off the power grid where they're keeping all the ghosts, and one of them says, you know, explaining something. He says, "Dickless here turned off the power." <laughs> I think Venkman goes, "Is." Is this true? Yes, this guy has no dick. <laughs> but there's your three Ghostbusters jokes, and there are a few more as well. And there's that funny scene at the very start where Venkman is doing the Zena cards with people, and he's, I think he, he's just electrocuting the, the guy, but the girl is quite attractive. He's going, oh, wow, you're, you know, you're really good. <laughs> yeah, you got it right again. <laughs> Well, I've just brought up uh, a a website of funny funny lines in Ghostbusters Afterlife, Richard. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah, I'm about 25 down. Nothing's really <laughs> struck me at the moment. The sheriff at one point does say who you're going to call in a context uh, that isn't about Ghostbusters. I that's that's a that's groaner, subtle. isn't it? Though. Yeah. Yeah, that really that really hit home. I didn't like that bit really. A podcast uh, who's like the side. The, the, he's the, great. Uh, he's actually he's, funny. Isn't he, isn't he a standout star? He podcast, is, yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, he, he says, I call myself podcast because of my podcast. I, I guess that's sort of like New York humour. <laughs> uh, 
Like, uh, who's what? Emo Phillips. It's kind of Emo Phillips style, isn't it? Both podcast and the the girl Phoebe. She's got a very dry sense of humour, isn't she? Because she's playing yeah, Phoebe, a very yeah. dry character. And podcast is her sidekick. Yeah. You need to explain the plot of this, Paul. I don't think I can do it. I've only just seen it, and I just give me one more minute because I need to find something that's memorable in all these quotes. <laughs> There's a lot of really bad kids jokes here, like a grasshopper walks into a bar and what you call a fish with no eyes. Yeah, that's right, because Phoebe's got this thing about learning to tell jokes to be more human. Oh, because she's slightly on some on some spectrum, but isn't really. <laughs> yeah. uh, she's she's a little science buff, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Okay. <sighs> yeah, so there, are no memor- there are no memorable quotes, actually. Yeah, that's, I have that's to, right. I have to not, agree with you there. Not enough laughs to make it a comedy. But that's because the original was written by Dan Aykroyd, yeah? No, the original was written by Ivan oh. Reitman and Harold Ramis. Stop it. Oh, yeah. And do they have any connection with this? Uh, yes, there is a big connection with this. This was directed and partially written by Ivan Reitman's son, Jason Reitman. Wow. So get this, right. He got this no classic, way. classic 80s comedy movie. By Ivan Reitman. And now, and th- that was done by your son, say. So, uh, by your dad, sorry. <laughs> so imagine you're Jason Reitman now, and you want to reboot Ghostbusters again. Stop, 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 stop. It was partly written by Dan Aykroyd, Ghostbusters original. And of course, Bill Murray was on set, so he's going to add in lots of ad-libs, isn't he? You know, yeah. a, lot of that, a lot of that fast stuff. Uh, at the time, was like really for British people felt like really, really sharp American humor, really wisecracky humor. You know, he's got to have added something in there. You know, whereas sure. of course, in terms of fan service, there's a hell of a lot of fan service that goes on in this movie. Oh, God. the original the original cast members are really only there so that they can appear again. If you're gonna kind of do a reboot or an homage or you know whatever you want to call it, if you're gonna restart the franchise, they need to be there for a central role and reason, don't they? And they're not. Look, there are different ways of doing it. Right? And it's some properties. Like, if you think about Star Wars, they rationed out the old characters. So you've got the first one, you've got Chewbacca and Han Solo. And then the second one, you've got uh, Carrie Fisher, you know, you've got Princess Leia. Uh, maybe Luke as well. And then the third one, you got Luke. and You know, so they kind of rationed them out through the, the whole franchise. And I think in a lot of the reboots... You sometimes get one or two of the original cast, but then there'll always be some like really flimsy pretext, like you know, in a soap opera where somebody goes away somewhere or leaves the thing, and they say, "Oh, they've gone to the big city or whatever." Or, um, they've gone you know, to Saint Tropez. Yeah, yeah. You, you get a similar thing, don't you? They, they get referred to and say, "Oh, then you know, they're doing something else somewhere," and it always feels a bit of a dodge and a bit weak. So I think the temptation to bring everybody back that you can, which is basically what happened in this film, because you not only get the the all three of them, and actually all four of them, including the dead guy, <laughs> you also get the woman who was like on the reception in the original Ghostbusters. Yes, and you get uh, Sigourney Weaver as well, don't you? What was she doing in the original? Well, she was the. The gatekeeper, wasn't she? She was the possessed one, possessed by the devil dogs. Okay, so 32 years after defeating Virgo 
the Carpathian. The Ghostbusters have obviously disbanded and gone their separate ways, and one of them just died. Well, the movie starts with Spengler dying. We don't know that it's Spengler, do we? But No, he's in a farm, an old farm converted barn, I guess, out in the Midwest, I guess. And it's he's got, like, dirt farm scrawled in graffiti on the outside. I yeah. guess he does that to keep people away. Yeah, he wants his... Oh, you think he wrote so that? Yeah. Maybe, yeah, so that he can continue his supernatural experiments. And, you know, he's he's playing with his widgets and gadgets and dongles and whatnot. Uh, because he's out there in the middle of the, of the uh, wheat fields. It's fairly obvious to us that there's some sort of... He's playing with supernatural. There's a, there's a supernatural reapparition. Because, of course, they essentially did themselves out of jobs. They were too successful in the cleaning up of New York and had to disband because, well, they made all the ghosts go away, you see. So at the beginning of the movie, he, he kind of dies at the hands of a reappearing ghost, doesn't he? Is, is how I took it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. He tries to trap it in his ghost box, does so successfully, but before then, the ghost manages to kill him in that electrocuty ghosty way. Whatever, whatever. Whatever the meme is for, for, for ghosts killing people in Ghostbusters, I can't remember. Can I just say something about ghosts and Ghostbusters? Well, there are three kinds, aren't there? What? There's the kind of like big doggy fleshy ones. Okay, yeah. There's the marshmallowy ones. <laughs> yeah. There's the floaty ones that are a bit marshmallowy and are quite cute, but also get bigger. <laughs> like, like a floaty blob. Well, one of the nice things is that Dan Aykroyd's character, Ray Stance, is constantly like classifying all of these, you know, uh, all of these creatures. You know, he, he has a seems like there's a complete taxonomy of all different kind of ghosts in the original Ghostbusters. Well, what I wanted to say, though, is I know this is reading far too much in to the whole metaverse of Ghostbusters, uh, you know, as if this Saturday Night Live sketch would have had a very well thought out cosmology about ghosts. But I mean, that is what this movie seems to assume or trying to assert. They're very serious about the whole cosmology of it. In the Ghostbusters universe, right, there is no such thing as a supernatural. Hmm. Controversial opinion, Paul. I don't have to respond to that. Do you know why I say that? Why do I say that? I don't know why you say that. Why do you say that? Because the supernatural... There's a joke coming here. No, no, it's not a joke. I'm being serious. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> the supernatural is you know, outside of the natural, right? And yeah. Spengler, the science guy has figured out ways of detecting ghosts. You can see them, so they reflect or emit photons. You can zap them with a proton accelerator, you know, cyclotron on your back. You can trap them and keep them, like, in prison, as it were, with electricity. So they respond to electromagnetic radiation, and they respond to the four fundamental forces of nature. So They're within our plane. Exactly. They're, They're natural phenomena. There's nothing supernatural there. They interact with known forces and phenomena. So in the Ghostbusters universe, whatever these things are, they're completely natural. It's a problem of the supernatural that people always seem keen to invoke. When people think of the supernatural, I think they imagine that it sidesteps all of that tedious mucking around with actual science, you know, and whether or not you can prove stuff and whether we can take a picture of it and all that stuff. But... The point is, if you can see it and interact with it, it must be natural. You can take a picture of something, it's obviously actually there, right? Otherwise you wouldn't be able to take a picture of it, would you? If there are photons, I suppose there's a thing where, if it's purely in your mind, 
and maybe it's not really there, then that's slightly different. But if it's purely, I mean, most people say, oh, I don't think ghosts are just in your mind. You know, most people want to think of something, so they put them in this classification as supernatural. But it's it's kind of a nonsense category as well, as I can see. You can't... I'd agree, yeah. You've got no access to it. If it doesn't exist, it doesn't exist. Yeah, if it can't be interacted with, it's not really there. But in the Ghostbusters universe, everything is science. So, funny though, funny and throwaway and light-hearted though Ghostbusters is, I think it quite, I think it's quite good for people who want to be scientists because, you know, throughout all of Ghostbusters, like the science guys, I mean, they're described as physicists at one point. In the well, they quit. The, I think in the original Ghostbusters, they quit their jobs at universities because oh, you're doing those things you shouldn't be doing it with our laboratory kind of thing. And that's when they become Ghostbusters, yeah. And of course, they're doing all the psychic readings between each other, which I think is briefly reprised in this in this movie at the end. Yeah. You know, where they're trying to read each other's minds, and it's like in this movie we sh- we're shown that actually, hey, it's just some sort of trick he's doing. Uh, but so yeah, so it's definitely kind of like uh, the early eighties cool nerd background they come from. So it, it, they're definitely approaching this from a scientific perspective, aren't they? It's just. It's 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 a world of science that isn't open to most of us. I don't wonder. It's given me to wondering a little bit how much of an influence Ghostbusters was on me in one in making me want to be a scientist. Because especially at that age, I was really into like the paranormal and what I thought of as the supernatural, and I was really keen on the idea. I'm sure. I don't. I don't know whether that came from Ghostbusters, but it was strongly reinforced by it, if nothing else. That you know we could use science to study these things, and so <laughs> I think I probably owe a lot of my interest and curiosity in science to partly, at least, being fueled or supported or reinforced by Ghostbusters. I think a lot of people probably might have the same experience. I think it's interesting how a throwaway property like Ghostbusters might have had that kind of influence. It was a big, big smash back in the day. It was a big, big movie. No doubt. Oh, yeah, yeah. Even now, Richard will tell you that Ghostbusters computer game was a good one. <laughs> that's not, how influential this movie was. I don't know that's a hill I would like to die on. But it did have well, voice synthesis with pink, in it. Did it? Yeah, yeah. And even on the spectrum, they managed to make it pretend to say Ghostbusters in a horror I don't know what rose-coloured spectacles have enjoyed the movie so much allowed you. To think that computer game was anything other than trash. <laughs> but anyway. What's the plot of this damn movie, Paul? So anyway, so the, the one of the one of the original Ghostbusters, which is what's his name? The actor? He's dead now. Harold Ramis. To whom this film is dedicated. Egon he's turned Spengler. up at this farm. He's turned up at Dirt Farm. Why? Because the farm happens to be next to the Gazarian cultist. Ivo Shandor's mining operations. So he kind of knows that there's there's not a cult, but there's a supernatural element. We don't know any of this going at the start of the film. Down this, the mine. He knows, but we don't know. We don't and his know. grandchildren certainly don't know. Anyway, the capacitor fails on the ghost trap, and of course, he's ghosticuted or whatever it happens in the Ghostbusters. <laughs> in the Ghostbusters mythology. Along come. We are 35 minutes into this podcast or something. And. I'm yeah, going quickly, Richard. You, if you got, let me carry on. So far, you've got five minutes. No more than three Stop minutes, maybe. Just, it's a, it's a get, out. get out. Stay in your lane. Okay. A film just which is, by the way, two, over, over the two hours long. 
Two hours yeah, and five right. minutes long. Let me continue. <laughs> anyway, his estranged daughter turned up, and that's a whole other backstory. Why are they estranged? Uh, and she's a bit, not a disaster, but she's a bit of a loose cannon. She's, uh, you know, topsy-turvy. Visit, you know, move to California, move back again, move to Florida kind of life. And the kids have been dragged along with her. And his two grandchildren. Okay, and they are essentially our leads of this show. Right, okay, so they turn up at the local school. Paul Rudd is the kind of teacher who doesn't really care about anything. Uh, and uh, he <laughs> kind of takes the girl under his wing. That is quite funny. I, I, quite, I quite like this bit. He has no, no funny lines, but he has. A, he, he's funny, yeah. He's he is a funny guy, yeah. The way he just puts Cujo and Chucky on for, for the kids to watch during science class or whatever. Well, he, he watches Parents the will never know how accurate that is, by the way. <laughs> Uh, and he's what a geologist in his free time, a, a seismologist. But he recognises a kindred scientific spirit in this young girl. P- pairs her up with Podcast, who's the other kind of overintelligent misfit in the class. Who, as his name suggests, is a podcast making fanatic. Uh, he's a really great young actor. He's a great find. He's not anybody famous. I don't know where he's come from, the Disney Channel or whatever. But I'm sure he's going to appear again in movies in, in, in the future. Logan Kim is his name. And it, yeah, the, the way his character is portrayed is he's always doing this podcast and he's always got the podcast voice going on, hasn't he? Where he's, he's narrating <laughs> things in, like with a, a great sort of podcast angle to it. His podcast is is geared towards and directed towards the paranormal. Uh, and later on in the movie, I think it's Dan Aykroyd or is it Bill yeah, Murray's character? It was, character it was Dan Aykroyd, yeah, yeah. He says, oh, I love your podcast. Why you listen to my podcast? Yeah, really found his voice in episode 46. <laughs> so uh, he's a character that really, really works. Okay, Phoebe is the daughter and the son is the big drawer of this movie. Trevor played by, of course, Finn Wolfhard, late Recently and before Stranger of Things, Stranger yeah. Things one, two, and soon to be three. I think uh, Phoebe uh, McKenna Grace playing the girl is more, a, more interesting, a better character, and more interesting than Finn Wolfhard. Uh, to be honest, with you, I don't think Finn is trying that hard in this movie. I, I don't know about that, but I, I just thought that the girl was a much more interesting character. I just love the way she's portraying, as you say, she's portraying a quite uh, introverted kind of science-focused person. And it's just beautifully done. There's a good bit where where Podcast says, I think I think our teacher wants to bone your mum. <laughs> and she she goes, oh. And he says, you know, doesn't that bother you? She says, yeah, I express emotions in a way, a different way to normal people. Inside, I'm vomiting. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so there were some good lines, but they weren't necessarily gags, were they? No, no, I think uh, those two of them, the two of them had had some nice lines, but they weren't really they didn't really come out as gags. And Paul Rudd's character is a lackadaisical and somewhat uh, dispassionate teacher, uh, loose 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 cannon teacher. I thought was uh, really well really well done. But I think these are kind of uh, one offs and sweet moments in otherwise quite a, quite a barren plot and humor landscape. Anyway, so look, Trevor's. Trying to get his nuts buried in the local girl, uh, Lucky, who works at the diner, some retro diner. Uh, he's lying about his age, and uh, she's kind of laughing, giggling, giggling at him as she heads off on the back of a pickup with all her older, cool friends who are boys. This is Lucky, right? Lucky, yeah. That's his 
girlfriend's name, isn't it? Lucky. Yeah. Soon to become his girlfriend, yeah, but sort of unrequited sweetheart. Oh, it's in the bag, isn't it? Come on. There's no in doubt. the bag, yeah. It's in the bag. She's giving she's... her a job washing washing dishes there, you know, so yeah, he's got it. He's going to bury his nuts at some point, yeah. <laughs> she's all over him, Paul. She doesn't leave him alone. True. True, but she teases him. She, I mean, she doesn't make it that easy for him. You know, she tests oh, yeah, his metal first. As a young, as a young, he has teenager, to run the gauntlet. As a young teenage boy, you'd have no clue that she was actually showing interest. Of course, mm. it, w- it wouldn't occur to you for a second. It would hurt, but actually, it, she, she it, it does hurt him. Yeah, I think Finn. I think he does represent. He does. That's what the one good part of his acting is. You kind of get that sense of a. a Boy on the cusp of his first love that just does not know what's going on. Is really hurt by what she's doing. Though she's not really trying to be hurtful, she's just flirting, you know. And I think he does that really well. That's one thing he does well in this movie. Meantime, Phoebe, his younger and more cerebral sister, has discovered, is it a PKE meter? Some sort of Ghostbusters paraphernalia in the house. That's uh, right, yeah. under Under the chair where her grandfather died. She untraps or traps a hidden ghost or something. She uh, she winds up doing a kind of sliding puzzle on the wooden Parker flooring. Thing. That's right, a very simple puzzle too. <laughs> and she there's finds... a missing floorboard that you can move to make to um, reveal another missing floorboard with stuff underneath. She finds an old Ghostbusters trap, ghost trap device in that secret compartment. Which she doesn't know what it is, I don't think. But when she shows it to a teacher, he immediately clocks it. He knows because he's from New York. Gary Gruberson. And then we get we get this kind of weird thing where they've got YouTube. They watch YouTube clips of the old Ghostbusters outbreak in New York in the mid eighties. Which that's right. Yeah, yeah. That was I I didn't I didn't like that. Well, interesting. So why didn't you like it? It mixes worlds, doesn't it? It mixes a world where there are ghosts and, like, they took over an entire city yeah. and a world where these kids don't know about that. <laughs> did you, did you, like, how, come on. What, there are ghosts? Oh, we don't talk about them anymore, but you can't watch them on YouTube. Do you know what I mean? It's like, what? No, I mean. You make a good point. Oh, there are really ghosts. Well, yeah, there were 30 years ago across the entire city of New York. I mean, it doesn't work, does it? But she no. doesn't believe in ghosts. Yeah, that, that that's a failing, isn't it, of the writing? Yeah, it doesn't work. Anyway, what happens is the town is constantly like having these huge, huge tremors. And obviously it's to do with the bestial entity that's living in the mine nearby that the grandfather was investigating. And for some reason... Oh, because they've discovered the old Ghostbuster Ecto-1 vehicle, yeah? And so her older brother, Finn, is driving around the cornfields without a license. They come to the mine where he has a romantic moment with his soon-to-be girlfriend. And then, for whatever reason, they release the ghosts by accident from the mine into the town. Is that what happens, Richard? I can't remember. Yeah, I mean, the story is a bit muddled, isn't it? Because they play with a ghost trap, that's right, okay. So once you've let one out, they can start letting each other out, or something like that. It's never really clear, is it? No, I think the pair, I think Podcast and the girl find the, in the, they go into the mine and there's a temple there, isn't there? Isn't that what yeah. happens? And they find that guy in suspended animation at some stage. 
what the hell? <laughs> Ivo Shandor, you mentioned him. Yeah, but that's much later on, Rich. Oh, I see, right. Sorry, not not there yet. So the whole first part of this movie, which I found a bit slow frustrating. moving, I have to yes. say. Well, well, basically what's happened is the setup of the movie is we've put all of the stuff, the props from the original Ghostbusters all around this place. And here's a little device you can use to help you find it. It's like a hot or cold machine. And over the course of the first hour of the film or something, she's going to go around, find all the stuff, the trap, the proton pack. Under the ghost that is her grandfather's direction. This is a weird thing. That's right, yeah. And she, she realises... She starts playing chess Oh, it's my it, granddad. Yeah. Oh, I really believe in ghosts now. <laughs> she finds all this stuff. Ultimately, though, the way she finds most of it is she walks into the barn... There's a fireman's pole going into the ground through a big hole. <laughs> and that That's goes right, down yeah. into the laboratory. I mean, you'd think they would have found that a lot earlier, really, wouldn't you? <laughs> you don't need to be led there by a ghost and a PKE meter, you know. But there you go. Anyway, Mantra is like one of the ghosts that escapes and re- starts to, you know, wreak havoc around the town. And they chase and after little... it. They chase after yeah. it in the Ectomobile. Ecto-1, yeah. Which nowadays, apparently, has got a sort of uh, a lever-operated seat that pops out of the side, and it lets them use it on the move with a proton pack. And I thought this sequence was quite cool. I really enjoyed this, actually. I, I loved how they used Ecto-1, because it's, it's a nice prop from the original, and I loved how the kids were playing with it. I, th- I thought it was cool. Now we get the full backstory that's hastily recreated for this movie, is that... Her dead father, dead grandfather Egon, believed in a coming apocalypse, which was somehow orchestrated or you know invited by the cultist Shandor. Uh, this is the reason, Gazarians, thank you. And this is the reason for his schis- schism with the other Ghostbusters. And we learn later from either Bill or Dan's character that he left them for dead, and you know took all the money and left them in debt, and they had to close down the Ghostbusters because he left. Etc. 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 At this point, I think little marshmallow men, like the ghosts are multiplying. This part of the richer throughout the town. Is that right? Little tiny marshmallow men are replicating inside the supermarket. Yeah, I didn't get that. I didn't get why that should be. Didn't know that. I didn't know that at all. Cute though they are. In the original movie, of course. He's yeah. He's the big baddie. Yeah, but it's the way that he appears that's actually funny because, of course. I think what it goes as say, you know, I will make your worst fear come true or something like that. I can't remember what it is. And they say, nobody think of anything. Nobody think of anything. And I think, is it Ray who says, I just tried to think of the, you know, the most harmless thing I could imagine. (laughs) The Stay Puffed Marshmallow Man. And uh, so a giant Stay Puffed Marshmallow Man appears. I think what what you're bringing back to life here is the density and tautness of the ideas and dialogue in the original Ghostbusters movie. It was literally, you know, bam, 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 wasn't it? You know, when you, when you listen to this, you know. But that was conspicuously missing here from this movie. It's like they tried to recreate the sound of that kind of to and fro witticism, but not the content. Yeah, yeah. It echoes that kind of style, but it doesn't have the content of the original. Yeah, it, it sort of misses the point in it, almost at every stage, almost at every level. Because this plays like a serious, like supernatural movie, doesn't it? Exactly. 
That's Whereas the problem. Ghostbusters is all about the gags. This is it. It's a throw in Ghostbusters. It's a whole all a throwaway thing. You know, the Gozerian Temple is in Donna's fridge. For goodness' sake. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, it's played for hey, us. The whole thing that is played makes for, for us. a cheap. That makes it. That makes for a cheap stage, doesn't it? You know. I mean. <laughs> but now in this movie, you know, it's a, all a very serious threat to the world. Miniature Stay Buff Marshmallow Man are like a standard feature of this Gazarian religion for some reason. You know, it doesn't. It doesn't make a lick of sense. Apparently, they're called mini puffs. <laughs> I mean, they are very cute. You know, no question. They are delightful. They're really cute. But do they miss the point? Okay, so they discover that Grandfather was a Ghostbuster. Oh, I, how they hadn't realised this before, I don't know. Having having access to YouTube YouTube videos. Uh, Mum, kind of, does she finally admit to the, to the grandchildren? Yeah, he was a Ghostbuster. So at that point, they can phone or try to contact the other ex-Ghostbusters and bring them into town. And somewhat reluctantly... The other Ghostbusters, the old the old team, come into town. And it's really that simple. And then there's just a, a huge denouement towards the end, isn't there? I mean, The modus operandi of the Gozerian, or Goza, that's what they're called, is have to get the gatekeeper and the keymaster to come together. <laughs> that they is by possessing the geography teacher and the kid's mother. And the kid's mum, yeah. In the original... Can that, you explain why that happens? Well, in the original, the same thing happens. Fan service, right? ah. In the original, the same thing happens, and the gatekeeper Zool possesses Sigourney Weaver's character, and the key the keymaster hilariously possesses Rick Moranis, who is you know the uber geek kind of thing, and so of course you get this the amazingly funny scenes of Rick Moranis trying to seduce or trying to get together with <laughs> the astonishingly devil. sexy yeah. Sigourney Weaver. You don't really get that in this movie because the teacher <laughs> and the kid's mum already both have a thing. The, the, yeah, oh, the, yeah, they already have it. They already have a thing. Anyway. That's right, yeah. So, again, misses There's the no point. There's no humour there, is there? It gets... It, like they, they tick the boxes of the original, but they've missed what was funny about it. I mean, there's a lot of areas of the original Ghostbusters that were problematic, I suppose, especially around the way uh, Sigourney Weaver's character was treated. But, you know, they're not preserving the humour of the original. Now, it's the idea that the, the key master and the gatekeeper have to get it on, or they just have to stand together and on some sort of plinth and open a portal to another universe. Well, it's strongly asserted in both the original and in this one that they well, have they're to get it on. Yeah, yeah. You're right, okay. At the same time, they play a bit fast and loose with it. But again, in this movie, it becomes too much of a thing. There's a bit where one of the... They put they use a trap to rescue one of them from the possession. Yes. That means the Goza is half kind of instantiated. And then it leaps to Lucky, you know, Finn's girlfriend. And then the Goza pops back into existence again. And yeah, it's all a bit on the nose, really, isn't it? And again... It's treating the whole mythology of the Ghostbusters thing too seriously, and you know. So just before the old team turn up, the kids have kind of got his stuff out again, got his ghost ghost catching equipment out again. They try to lure Goza to the farm. Yeah, they have a plan, don't they? That to, to she's figured out that her grandfather had built a super trap, a super ghost trap at the farm, and so they try. They have a plan to lure Goza. Back to the farm, 
and activate the trap at the appropriate moment. Uh, and there's a big climactic showdown where it's all going horribly wrong and everyone's getting uh, defeated by the Gozo when, of course, the original three turn up. Venkman and Stance and Zedemore turn up and save the day. Not before the mini-puffs have destroyed, nearly destroyed the Ecto-1. Yeah, yeah. And pod, uh, podcast gets covered in marshmallow by the end of it. And... <laughs> And Finn's 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 character is called Trevor. His girlfriend Lucky gets possessed. Yeah, she gets possessed by the devil dogs. Yeah, yeah, by presumably by Zool, the gatekeeper. I imagine. Right. I, I think it's actually Phoebe, isn't it, who sorts it out in the end? Because the the Ghostbusters all get knocked out, and then it all nearly comes to an end, and she jumps up and has another go and fixes it all. Yeah, by charging those capacitors and, and, oh, yeah, and Finn, activating it. That's right, Finn blasts the capacitors, doesn't he? Yeah, the water tower capacitors things. Yeah. How, what's that? Can you explain that in detail, Richard? Because I really don't understand. Well, <laughs> at the start of the movie, we saw that maybe there's not enough power in the farmhouse that's to right, yeah. Sort yeah. Of supply all of the equipment and keep the things trapped. So I think when Finn charges the capacitors up using his proton pack, that really solves the problem in it and allows Phoebe to hit the foot pedal to trigger all the traps and they they wind up catching Goza and the uh, that's it and that's it, it yeah. you know the original Ghostbusters also was very popular with kids but it was also a movie with some reasonably kind of mature humor and themes as well so adults enjoyed it as well I think and some sharp humor some very you know, it was, sharp was adult humor but just really sharply really tightly written Edgy, not say edgy, but just just fast, fast lines, you know, fast and witty lines. And with as with a lot of some of the best humorous stuff, even though they're playing it for gags, they do maintain a universe, you know, with its rules and its. There's a sort of metaverse there that people can sense, and that's why you, you know, you can make a game out of it, and why you can make a cartoon series out of it, and another film, and then another film. You know, so it hangs together enough, sort of in a sense, way more than it needed to for the joke. But you know, and it but it feels of itself, and it feels a bit of quality sort of production, doesn't it? But I think what's happened here is the son of the director of the original has given the source material too much reverence, and so you know, it becomes a solemn article of faith that you know this is how goes or works and these are the big bads of this universe and whereas all those occurrences in the first movie were simply vehicles for the gag yeah, exactly thing, weren't yeah. they yeah yeah i mean and but, were, di- were disposable but certainly throwaway yeah exactly and you know at the end of the first one they've blown up state buff marshmallow man and because he's like a city block sized Marshmallow. <laughs> Everything is covered in marshmallow. <laughs> and in this one, you know, you've got podcasts zapping the miniature ones with his taser or whatever, and he ends up covered, but just himself. Again, it's like a, in a way, that's symbolic of the whole film, right? They, they've got the Too same much imagery. Fan service. They've got the same imagery. Yeah, they've checked the box for the fans. Oh, here's the marshmallow men. But they've missed the real humor of it, which is, you know, the. Yes, the entire city block of New York. Everybody is covered in marshmallow. <laughs> that was that was funny, you know. So I, you, you, I mean, you've given three or four examples of the original Ghostbusters humor there, and they're really apposite. I think that you really like 
you've come up with some memorable lines there about what makes it so funny. You know, the super nerd, the hyper nerd being possessed by, you know, a hypersexual <laughs> devil, you know, trying yeah. to seduce a really beautiful woman. It's just, it's just genuinely funny, isn't it? You know? Yeah, yeah. None of that was there. There wasn't that symmetry. There wasn't that, you know, there wasn't that way in which the dialogue was constructed of jokes and that there was symmetry in the jokes, you know, and there, were, there was some sort of dichotomy presented in characters in the jokes that allowed it all to work in. As you're saying, it's like it's like they've recreated the scenery. Yeah, yeah. But without the master strokes of the artist, yeah. I mean, this is a completely different kind of movie. This is like a family movie, and I'm sure kids will love this movie especially. Imagine you were Ivan Reitman. It's like you've taken Van Gogh's Van Gogh's sunflowers and said, "Look, I've done it again, but I've done it much more accurately now. It's much more realistic these days." You know, it's like it's not what Van Gogh was about. You know, I mean, yeah. Uh, Jason Reitman, you know, his dad did this big movie in the 80s and he must have seen it through a child's eyes. Yeah. It seems like he's taken all the things he loved as a kid about Ghostbusters. Yes. And he's, he's made a kid's movie. Nothing wrong with that. Nothing wrong with that whatsoever. And I, lo- I do love a lot of the bits that he's put in. And I'm sure kids will love all of the zapping, you know, proton packs and driving the... But episodes. sitting through it as an adult, did you not find it was really slow? It was too long. Yeah, I... I I seriously, I fell asleep midway, uh, which is why I let you do the plot. <laughs> I saw the beginning, I saw the end, but it, the beginning is too slow because they're picking up all the way clues, too slow, finding all the equipment, and the end, you know, climactic and such fan service, you know, because what we haven't mentioned is that the three old Ghostbusters turn up and, and they save the day. But also, when Phoebe starts shooting, at the very end, you see Spengler, you know, Harold Ramis. He appears as a ghost next to us. As a ghost, yeah. And, you know, everyone sees the ghost. You know, it's really well done, actually, you know, to bringing him back to life effectively. You know, I guess they're using old footage or whatever. But it's beautifully composited in, and it's very convincing, you know, insofar as it, you know, he's a ghost, but it. It doesn't look forced. He doesn't say anything, though. Uh, and there's it's obviously a moment as well. It's obviously quite an emotional thing, I think, for all of the old cast. Uh, uh, but they dwell on it for too long. It's a bit overwrought at the end. I'm sure kids would be bored by all of that stuff. The weird thing is, like, in the coming VR metaverse, or <laughs> AR metaverse, is, you know, we're never going to have to say goodbye to our deceased relatives. It's, you know, their avatars, we can, you know, it's like... When do we decide to turn off our relatives' avatars? You know, the uh, you know the AI, hey, the AI avatars that will speak on their behalf. That will you know. I mean, whoever it is that to think feeds about. drive-by cinema into an AI Bayesian system, we'll live forever. Yeah, we will live forever as yeah. as the AI um, systems that can just. And, you know, for our progeny, you know, will they ever want to turn it off? Will they? Ever, it's weird, isn't it? But anyway, but he's a real ghost, not. A real ghost, absolutely. Uh, yeah, sorry, he's a real ghost. I mean, <sighs> shall we just get to the scores and, and be done with this, Richard? All right, all right. So, how about acting then? Uh, for me, it was an on, on and off affair mm-hmm. between actors and within each actor's performance. 
I thought Finn was very lukewarm throughout, mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. apart from a few sparkly moments. I like Paul Rudd. He's, I think Paul Rudd. He's just there for stutter appeal. Paul Rudd was genuinely performative. Very uh, warm. Very warm. Made the most of rather limited lines. Really got a sense of him as, you know, the younger Gen X kind of renegade teacher who's just not following any rules at all. Uh, a bit of a wild card character shooting from the hip. Like you say, I think the strongest, the strongest drawn character was the uh, daughter Phoebe. The best performance, I think, had to come from Logan Kim as podcast. All in all, I, uh, uh, sorry, the old guys, the original, the original crew, the OGs. Nothing really to say about that. I mean, they just came in and said their lines on my own, didn't they? For four hundred fifty thousand pounds, <laughs> uh, essentially, or a million dollars, whatever how much they pay. They did nothing for the movie, and. I, I, I don't see why they were there, to be honest with you. Well, I, w- I would say I would say that it it left me quite emotional at the end because I I did end up reflecting on you know what Ghostbusters meant to me, and it was nice to see them there together, yeah. and, and and I'm sure they had a good time actually doing it. They must have loved it. Um, yeah, I was quite. I came out of it. That. I came out of it feeling quite. It does leave you with a nice glow. Yeah, yeah. yeah. nice bittersweet glow. Like I say, acting. Nothing really to complain about, but again, nothing really sparkled. So for me, it was steady six point five. Richard, how about you? I'll give it. A, I'll give it a seven or maybe I'll go to an eight. I'll go to an eight. I thought it was good. Okay. Uh, so shall we do plot storyline dialogue? Well, I think this is the weakest. This is the weakest link. Yeah, goodbye. very much. So. I think we've we've discussed this at great length, really, haven't we? Yes. I, the, the point is, the resolution is all kind of like captured, recaptured, escaped. And it's meaningless, you know. <laughs> yeah. And the only only turn, the only dime it turns on is when they use the shooters to power up the capacitors in the ghost traps. Is that right? Yeah, that's. The, I suppose that's, that's the, only, the trick. That's yeah. the only dime it turns on. Yeah. You know, and the rest is just like lots of chasing, a lot of chasing, a lot of ghosts and car chase, which is good. But it doesn't particularly lead from or to anything, and consequently, well, I'm in the original movies. You're saying it was you know a slapstick uh, uh, and very jokey comedy. You wouldn't expect character development. This this movie, the way it's pitched, you'd expect something to grow. This is this Ghostbusters, the coming of age drama. <laughs> you know, nothing does. So in terms of plot, I'm gonna have to score it a desultory. 3.5. Richard, over to you. This is Ghostbusters. How does Phoebe learn what her place in life is and what a granddad should mean to her? And how does Finn get a girlfriend? This is what this Ghostbusters It's like the making of Luke Skywalker, isn't it, kind of thing? <laughs> yeah. Right. I, it is weak. Um, look. There's, there is a lot of fan service, and if you want Ghostbusters fan service and you want to feel a bit of Ghostbusters glow, right, it works. right down to the song at the end, the yeah. image of New York. For that, it's worth a little bit of a four, I think. But Okay. Hmm. You've been quite generous, Richard, because you, you like the original. Okay, on to SFX. Yeah. Now here, this is interesting. You know, They've recreated the look of the old movie really well here. Those that beautiful sort of eighties neon glow from the, from you know the uh, plasma. Oh, oh yeah, and and those proton packs, you know, painstakingly recreated as well from the originals. Wow. Uh, and I watched um, Adam Savage, you know, the Mythbusters guy who 
is into and collects and makes props for movies and stuff. He'd built one of his own. And has but what I'm saying is, Richard, just let me see interrupt here. It's painstaking rebuilding of something that was very shoddily made in the first place. Yeah, you know, it's thrown together on a movie set in five or six weeks, probably originally, because well, movies were made quick back then. Yeah, but the special effects in Ghostbusters were revolutionary. I think. I think they were really good. Sure. Yeah. I, I mean, oh, they yeah, used yeah, to be, yeah. you know, on the, the kind of kids' TV that talked about movies like screen tests and other things like yeah, that yeah. and also in the news as well you used to see clips of Ghostbusters before it came out and they would be showing the scene of that ghost in the hallway with where, where she has to wriggle past yeah. where it slimes him where it slimes him and you know he pulls out the uh, <laughs> it's another funny scene in the original where he pulls out his proton pack and you see Slimer eating something off the the, the trolley in the hotel corridor and he zaps it and there's a load of burning toilet rolls pulling up the trolley. <laughs> it's, very, it's very good. And he gets slimed and he's lying there covered in ectoplasm. Excellent. So you're saying there's a painstaking remake of the props. The props, yeah. Hasbro are bringing out proton packs that look astonishingly realistic and have got all the lights and stuff flashing and I mean, it must be very expensive, I imagine. The kind of thing you buy if you're a cosplayer wanting to go to a convention wearing full Ghostbusters gear, but it looks amazing. That was also on the Adam Savage uh, YouTube I saw. But, yeah, it looks really cool. So, I mean, they, they spent a lot of time creating the props and the visual effects. I thought it all looked really good, actually. So, I'll give it an 8. Yeah, okay. I was going to score it a 9 for... Technical accomplishment and and you know the special effects do everything they should do, but they're not efficacious. That like, ghost they don't, muncher, they don't. That ghost yeah. is not very good. I think that's a, a weakness. It's they don't. Hmm, it's similar to the original. No, they're not convincing, but they never were all that convincing. No, they weren't. But what I'm saying is they don't build to anything, and there's no reason for them to be so good. Uh, it just seems that, you know, I mean, I, I'd like to score them for the effort they made uh, and the attainment they made in, in, you know, producing high quality special effects. But I don't know what purpose they serve, really, in the movie. So I would have scored it nine, but I'm going to score it seven. Oh, okay. For special effects. Because I, I don't. There's no. There's no. Profit to be got from them being so good, I don't think. Is that all our categories then? Have we done that then? No, action. Action. There's a lot of car chases. Strong point here. I liked the action when the action happened. It's just not all that well paced. But the action scenes themselves are pretty good. Oh, yeah, the car chases through wheat fields, you know, the skids around, skids through wheat fields, the swinging out of that kind of gunner's, gunner's seat. The re- remote control trap, little remote control wheel. Yes. Trap. That's really good. All great moments of action. But like I say, they didn't lead to or from anything. It seemed to be random moments of action. Whether or not they escaped the ghosts, in that action, the ghosts would reappear later, <laughs> yeah. for whatever reason. You know, it's like, well, why did it all occur if nothing occurred? Nothing, if there was no limitation or delimitation of what could happen in the plot as a result of the action. So, again, kind of meaningless, I thought, the action. Really greatly represented, but kind of meaningless. We have to score it a six. Rich, what do you think? Yeah, there's no real peril, is there? They don't, you don't no. feel that they're in danger at any stage. But I enjoyed it. Like I say, I thought it tickled my Ghostbusters action kind of nerve. So I'll give it a seven. Wow. Okay. So, hmm. 
overall, then. Now, despite my relatively high scores... Yours are much higher than mine. I don't think... This is a great movie. It's not a classic, is it? No. I think it's... Although it's it's done quite well at the box office. But then again, you know, we haven't been watching movies in live arenas for two years, so of course it's going to do quite well at the box office. I mean, it's it's a great family movie, a great kids' movie, and... Lord knows, I'll tell you what, I'll up its score if it inspires more kids to be into science and, you know, less kids to be to feel ostracised because they feel like Phoebe, then that's a great thing. I'll give it a six and, you know. Yeah, okay. You've kind of rounded it off nicely then. I have to say, the kids sat next to me uh, who originally took my seat that I paid for. <laughs> uh, they, they really enjoyed it. Oh, there it was go. obvious they weren't getting the jokes. <laughs> well, it's a good job they weren't so really, many. Yeah. They really loved the slapstick, slapstick moments that resulted from some of the action. Yeah. You know? Yeah. yeah. They loved it. They were, oh, they were hooting. So, so I'm convinced it is a great family movie. However, I don't think it carries adults in the way that Ghostbusters did originally. Originally, the Ghostbusters dialogue was written for adults, you know? Yeah. Yeah. They're sharp, witty jokes. That you know, you'll only understand if you're an adult. Not that they were adult content, but and, and this didn't have any of that. It had the wise cracking, but was just there because the original had it, and so yeah, it didn't sit too well with me for that reason. So like, I'm gonna have to downscore it compared to the average of my individual individual scores and say a six point five. Well, slightly better than me, then. In fact. Oh. Yeah, I, mean, I don't think you could score this a five. You couldn't say this, this was a movie that wasn't enjoyable or worth watching. No, true. Although it did really drag, you know, there were lots drag. of lulls, a lots of really slow builds that weren't necessary. Here's a thing that I have puzzled about and have just now found out. In the original Ghostbusters movie, right, obviously the Stay Puffed Marshmallow Man is the big bad at the end. Yeah. That is a fictional mascot. I mean, it you know, there isn't a it doesn't exist. Yeah, no, they made it up. For there is no Michelin Man in America now. That's right. Yeah, it's, it's similar to Michelin's Michelin Man. Do you know what the real name for that is? Henri Lagabert. <laughs> what? <laughs> oh, don't know. It's called uh, Bibendum. Really, the drinker. Bibendum. Is that what it, that means? That which is drunk. He the drinking. I don't know what it means in Latin. Bibendum. Bibendum. Mm. Could be an adject, adject child noun even. I don't know. It's a long time since I studied difficult Latin. Or Latin at that level. Paul, next week then. Yeah. I have a suggestion. I have two suggestions. One is a new film on, and I'm going to say Netflix or Amazon. Or it could be Amazon or Netflix. Uh, And that is Encounter. A new sci-fi movie. Ooh, tell me more. Is there any star? Anybody write that? Somebody did, yeah. Uh, it stars... It's on Amazon, actually. Don't tell me it stars Riz Ahmed. It does indeed star Riz Ahmed, which is why I'm quite interested to see it. I think it's going to be quite a different experience from Ghostbusters. So, uh, And then the other, my other option would be a, a movie we've suggested over and over and over again. It Follows. <sighs> why have you suggested It Follows over and over again? Because I think it's a horror movie, and uh, I've heard that it's good, and you know perhaps we should see it. Do you think Christmas is the time for horror movies? A lot of people like a Christmas ghost story, don't they? They do. Yeah. No, you're going to go with that Encounter, aren't you? 
I'm going to go with Encounter. I knew it. After this bout of verbal diarrhea I just had. Yes, <laughs> we're going to watch Riz Ahmad in that. Before then, just let me tell you, I think Babendum is the future passive kind of participle. So, to be drunk. So, that which is to be drunk. How does that make any sense? It's a noun in this context. Yes, it's a noun. That which is to be drunk. How does that make sense for a time mascot? That's the power of... I don't know. That's the power of Latin, is to change verbs into nouns and to apply them to tyres. <laughs> well, I'm tired now, Paul. Well, Richard, where are we? Yes. Until okay, exactly. next You're time. You're going to say goodbye. Until next time, Paul. It's time to say goodbye. It's ciao for now. See you in the next one on 21. Thank you.